Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google/certificates. This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time, when there's two tickets left for the show, when everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to, when everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. Good morning, honey hole hangout. Dude, it's the evening. We're coming from our respective apartments. We are. Sorry for the poor audio quality on this one. Uh, We are doing a video recording, like on Google Meet or Zoom or whatever one you guys use. And uh, we're recording it, and we're going to release that as our podcast because it's been kind of a crazy week. But if you guys want to actually see our faces, then you can watch our podcast on YouTube if you're curious who's the best looking. It's true. So, although the only single one is available, so if you're single and ready to mingle, Ian Scott, wave to the camera, Ian. Show me your luscious locks. (laughs) I got nothing, man. But check out this beard. Come on. Beard's nice. Come on. So we survived the snowpocalypse. Barely. Yeah, I didn't I have no I won't I won't say I survived it until we get that bill from CPS. <laughs> I I had four days without power. What about you guys? I had a day without water. Yeah, I had two days without water. I mostly had power, but we had basically no water. Mm. Yeah. We have to boil uh, it. Yeah, that's a big pain in the butt. Yeah. Thankfully, we filled out, filled up a bunch of jugs for like drinking water and stuff, like a bunch of jugs, like pretty early on. And uh, we're still surviving off that. So we haven't had to boil anything. Yeah. But Ian, uh, you, you wrote an article uh, that came out last Thursday that I thought was pretty good about the situation. Would you like to summarize? Yeah, I wrote it. I, sure thing. Um, I wrote an article that just talks about, you know, as, as sportsmen and sportswomen, like we spend a lot of time outside. And when you're spending a lot of time outside and you might not have access to power, you probably have experience building campfires. You probably have experience boiling water. You probably have experience cooking with gas and propane and um, hunting and fishing. And um, I was just encouraging people to use those resources and those skills to like serve your community and neighbors, man. Like I personally have like a propane gas stove, um, 
like portable and boiling water and uh, I have a bunch of outdoor cold weather gear so I put on all my gear and was checking on my neighbors so um, I think it's just important to to do that kind of stuff you know it's you know we a lot of people just don't grow up or don't have the equipment or don't have uh, the ability or knowledge um, a lot of it's the equipment and it's like this is a time that people in the outdoors industry can really help um, yeah I mean I didn't yeah, have so I didn't have power but I mean I had a gas stove and was able exactly. to utilize that and I had like a jet boil so I was able to make warm coffee and tea even though we didn't have power and yeah. so like a lot of those things that we're just used to doing backpacking and camping and hunting and stuff like that just moved over here I mean shoot I've slept in below in a tent below freezing and so like knowing how to stay warm knowing how to layer all that stuff definitely came those, in handy. In yeah, a situation those skills like translate. Exactly. It's, you know, it's those skills translate. And we want to, you know, we want to share that and help people, right? Like, that's what makes humanity great is like when you, and especially that's what makes hunting and fishing and outdoors great is when you can help other people with those skills. Like, yeah. that's what's important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what gear did you guys use? Like, okay. I, there are two pieces of gear during this deal that I was so thankful to have, and I'm going to give them shout outs. I want you guys to think about like gear that you use, give them a shout out during this pandemic. Um, because, uh, I think it'd be cool to talk about the gear that we use that came in clutch and, uh, I'll go first since I prepared for this already. So the first thing, um, I actually bought a headlamp after we lost power because I had a, well-known outdoor brand headlamp that died on me uh permanently and um and uh the batteries corroded and then when i put new batteries in it it wouldn't work anymore so i was like well i need a headlamp because no power um you know it made doing things a lot easier so i went to home depot because i had to get some other stuff without having power and it's right around the corner from my house and i actually bought a milwaukee branded headlamp and this is the best headlamp i've ever used hands down now i can't speak to the longevity of it because i haven't used it like hunting or fishing or camping or anything like that i just wore it around the house they say it's water resistant um but what i like about this headlamp i think it's 350 lumens but it's not a laser beam it's really wide and so it's it was awesome to have a headlamp that wasn't like your highest lumen setting is a laser beam straight in front of you. Um, and I could actually like work and this headlamp was more usable. I think than any other headlamp I've had. Does it have a beam setting if you wanted that more direct light? It does not. Okay. So it has lower settings, but none of them are beam setting, okay. but all the headlamps I've ever had, the highest setting, is a beam and as you go lower like the 25 lumen settings is why but it's better it's it's no use anyway basically mm -hmm. 25 lumens spread out so having 350 lumens at like a wide view was really 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 nice and um i'm super happy with this headlamp and i think it was like either 29 or 39 dollars i would meant to look it up before the podcast but i can't remember so very reasonable price for a headlamp too because I know, I think my last headlamp was like sixty or seventy dollars. So, um, how much was that one? Twenty nine or thirty nine. I can't okay. remember. Yeah. And uh, I'm 
super excited about it. Um, we'll see how long it lasts. If it poo poos yeah. out, I don't know. Well, Milwaukee's a good brand, anyways. They make all the yeah. tools, and drills, and stuff. And it's not a typical brand you would think of, like as an outdoorsman, like Hunter or Fisher, to go buy a headlamp from. So, no, I wouldn't think uh, about it at all. That's why I wanted to give him a shout out. And the other thing that I used all week was uh, my uh, Orvis Pro wading pants. They have like fleece lined, <laughs> and I never took those things off, and I was warm the whole time. Yeah, and I sell those hard to people. Uh, and I have worn them around the house more than I have actually fished in them. They keep you warm fishing, but as like the best lounge pants I've ever had. Yeah. And uh, those two things, along with my stoves and stuff like that, but those were the two things like through and through I was super thankful to have. Yeah, for sure. What about you guys? Well, I probably had it the cushiest out of all of us. I only lost water for maybe 24 hours and I was able to adapt to that because I keep spare water jugs on hand. Um, I never lost electricity because I'm right next to a hospital. So I kind of get that luxury of them not turning off the electricity to the hospital. Um, so I would say the two things that I was most thankful for having was a four-wheel drive GMC and Ridge Grappler all-terrain tires because I did have to go down to work to pick up my laptop on Monday when it was super snowy out. And again on Wednesday because they thought they were going to open back up the office, but I went down there. No one was down there and all the electricity was off at the office. So... I got to kind of drive around and play for a little bit in the snow, in the truck, nice. and heated seats. You Man, Cliff, sounds like you were just living the life of luxury. I kind of was. was. Suffering. <laughs> I, I didn't have, like, I didn't have to worry about food. We had the freezer stacked up with stuff. I was able to keep electricity going so we grilled out one night made steaks on the traeger and then we cooked some sausages and white rice and stuff like that um i didn't have i mean it got chilly but i never got like cold yeah i don't think you get to have one of those i survived the Snowpocalypse of 2021 stickers. He doesn't get the polar badge. No, I don't think you earned it. This wasn't like my first rodeo, like whatsoever. I had snowpocalypses in Atlanta when all of Atlanta shut down. I was there for that. I've dealt with foot worth of snow in the past, and we had four inches. So, like, I, I know how to like adapt to it and it doesn't like shock the crap out of me seeing it here yeah. or having to survive in it. So like it wasn't that big of a deal. And then I've always kind of had like a pseudo prepper mentality. So like I had like excess water on hand 
so mm-hmm. when that went out the door i was able to just be like all right well we'll pull this jug in and use it to flush the toilet and we had a jug in the water tower to for drinking water and all this other stuff and then food i mean my freezer's still stacked with meat and other stuff yeah so i would uh, say it's it's me just being prepared that i didn't have to be like oh i gotta survive this yeah uh ian what about you gear um i think man um shout out to big agnes sleeping bags uh (laughs) which kept me warm we had power but uh not the whole time so that was really nice um and that was comfortable um i would say man uh i used a lot of my ski gear so like north face pants to walk around uh columbia jacket which was awesome um i used some of my sitka stuff too sitka base layers uh jet boil stoves definitely and yeti coolers get the other big shout out Hmm. zach what about you yeah uh number one i got a pair of daner boots that have like a really aggressive like tread to them and um oh i have danners as well dude i'm wearing them sorry dude i've worn them like the whole like the last week man they are perfect they're like suede but they're like the waterproof suede they breathe better than just about any other boot i've ever had and uh man they killed it in the snow this whole week so those are awesome number one and then second the yeti bucket that 40 dollar five gallon bucket man that <laughs> everyone laughs at when they see it uh but I was super glad for it. Also, with the lid, I was able to shovel snow into it really well. And because it's not insulated, it melted oh, the water. Were you, like, using that to, like, flush your toilets and stuff because you yep. didn't have water? Exactly. Mm. So I would I actually – I was just using the bucket as the toilet. That's what – What did you expect well. me to do? Yeah. No, so we, uh, we'd fill it up with snow, put it in our, in our bathtub, let it melt. And then use that as our uh, as our flusher system, nice. and um, man, it worked great. You know, same thing. We used coolers to fill up full of snow as well. And um, like I said, we were fortunate; we didn't really run out of power. So um, yeah. Oh, also a Jeep with mud train tires helps if you have to go anywhere as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. We got some questions. Um, uh, Josh asked us, what other outdoor podcast do y'all like? Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Taylor Trash Fly Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a solid one. Dude, I remember I remember them from their FFAD days. Fly Fishing After Dark? Yeah, they were solid. Yeah, um, no, that's a good one. I, that's a fly fishing specific one. Yeah, and they're in Florida. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're good guys too. I've talked to a couple of them in the past. I haven't talked to them in years now, but on the phone or just Insta or uh, Insta messaging and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, same. I've talked to like um, a few of them. They're they're just, they just I've never met them, but they just seem really awesome. Mm-hmm. But they other. Really- Go ahead. I was gonna say they really care about care about the area they live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mosquito Lagoon is where they're fishing in Florida, and 
yeah, they definitely really care about that area, and you can tell on their podcast. So it's their solid podcast to listen to. Mm-hmm. Other outdoor podcasts that I listen to on a consistent basis, and this is this is what I've boiled it down to, but there's a bunch more out there I can speak on as well. The Duck Commander guys have Unashamed, which is kind of like Christianity in the outdoors. Uh, specific hiding something kind of goes along with uh, Zach's segment of cryptozoology, but it's like mysteries that happen in the outdoors. Big Honker Podcast is a group from Knox City, Texas, I believe, up around the Dallas area slash Abilene area. Not exactly sure. They're a good group of guys, uh, duck hunting, goose hunting specific. Um, the Thin Green Line is a podcast for pretty much border patrol agencies and um, game wardens from across the country. I listened to Wired to Hunt with uh, Remy Warren, or that's Mark Kenyon, and then Cutting the Distance with Remy Warren. That's the like the, Star- the tip one, right? The Cutting the Distance, that's the one where he's like, gives you like a weekly yeah. piece of advice. Yeah. Um, the Lone Star Outdoor Show, if you're a Texas resident, I would look into that one. Uh, District of Conservation, which is a bunch of conservation policies and uh, conservation stories and specific stuff going on in the D.C. world of stuff. Hunting Collective, I listen to a little bit. Um, Meat Eater, Cows Week in Review, Justified Pursuit is another. Dang, Cliff, how do you? Okay. I don't have time to listen to any podcast. Yeah, I I have like two that I have time to listen to. And a man without I, headphones. I, it, yeah, and you don't have headphones. How are you listening to all these podcasts and you don't even have a pair of headphones? Cliff is probably on like three other hunting podcasts that we don't know about with like covert it, names. Like it sounds like it. Yeah, right. Warden's, are you watches the- for another podcast? No, I am not. Warden's Watch is another good one for Game Warden, like style stuff and Game Warden stories. Ducks Unlimited podcast, which is good for duck hunting and duck hunting information, or waterfowl, really. Foulfront, which is another waterfowl. Chaplain Chat and SCI's Tag Soup and Hunt Domain are all hunting podcasts that I listen to. I listen to the majority while I'm working or driving, I don't consume a lot of other media other than uh, podcast. Um, I do have headphones that I wear at the office, but I don't bring those home. I just keep them there. And thus, I do not have headphones at home, so I had to steal Cynthia's. Gotcha. Well, for me, my favorite is probably Cow's Weekend Review, um, which is uh, basically a 20-minute weekly segment about neat things in nature would be the easiest way to – if you took Ian's segment, made it 20 minutes, and put action-packed it full of stuff, that would be Cow's Weekend Review. 
Um, the Yeti Drifting is a good podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Drifting is good. That's more like uh, yeah. Shout out. Style. That's JT Van Zant, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, I love his podcast. Like, yeah, it's so like it's so just good. Um, uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, I got Cliff. I got another caveat I can throw in at the end of it. Um, the Mediator podcast I listen to, um, kind of outdoors, uh, Texas based. I listen to Wise About Texas. It's a Texas history podcast which I was a history major. So um, I'm a big fan of Texas history. And, it's a solid uh, podcast. If, you, if you're into fly tying, uh, the fly fish food, uh, fly fish food shop talk, um, it doesn't come out regularly. It's very random, but it's a solid podcast. And one I used to listen to a lot that I don't listen to much anymore is the Orvis podcast. That's a good podcast if you're learning and you're looking for tips and tricks. Unless there's a specific interviewer you want to listen or interviewee yeah. you want to listen to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't listen to that one much anymore, but I cut my teeth a lot on fly fishing when I was learning on that podcast. And yeah. because you're just gonna learn a bunch. It's or it's, if I'm going to a certain area, I'll go through that podcast that so you can search through it really easily. And then I will um I'll I'll listen to that specific podcast for tips yeah. about the area I'm going. So you can always do that too. Um, I think that's it for me, uh, that I'm listening to right now. Mm-hmm. I listen to uh, some other podcasts, but they're not outdoor. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I don't, I don't listen to a ton of outdoor podcasts cause I have so many different things that I like, but I listen to overheard, which is a national geographic one. It's just kind of like different, different things they have over the week that like somebody will hear at national geographic and they'll kind of do like a deep dive into that thing. Uh, which is really like they talked about snow leopards a couple weeks ago when that kind of thing. And the other one is um, hiding something, which is similar to, it's funny how we all listen to each other's podcast styles. Um, it's similar to on patrol where it talks about how um, just like different things happen in national parks. At first it was national parks in the United States and now it's parks across uh, the, the world. So it's uh, it's pretty neat as well. Ian, don't you also listen to the Orvis Hunting Podcast, which I've never listened to, but it's more of like a wing shooting based podcast. Maybe if anybody wants to listen to that one, you could give a quick tidbit on it. Yeah, Reed Bryant. Um, mm-hmm. Great podcast. It's a lot of hunting uplands. Um, uh, just great content. He reads his own stories. He talks about, he interviews a lot of people. He just talks about wing shooting. Um, it's great. It's kind of, I just like his, I I don't even know how you would say it. Like he talks about wing shooting, but he talks about like maybe the essence of it too. Like he shares kind of the stories and like talks about dog training and hunting, but also talks like interviews people that he's hunted with. And Mm. it's, it's great. I've learned a lot and um, it's just really well produced as well. So shout out to Orvis. Sweet. Um, let me see my next question. Um, but what I was going to say while you were doing that, if you're not in the Texas area and you're looking for a podcast, because uh, I said Lone Star Outdoor Show, if you're in Texas, but if you're in the Southeast, Southern Outdoorsman is another really good one for like public land or like DIY style hunting. 
throughout Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee areas. Mm. Thanks, Cliff. Um, the next question was one rod reel brand for the rest of your life, one gun brand for the rest of your life. What's y'all's pick? Uh, okay. Do are we factoring in budgets? No, no. Hey, didn't ask about a budget and the. What's your go-to? I wouldn't go anything like crazy. Like a like a hundred thousand dollar Holland and Holland's pretty best. No. <laughs> uh, uh, I like Orvis rods because I like their warranty. I think they work really well. Um, I've casted a few other brands, uh, but I like Orvis rods. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Beretta. Does, does Beretta make Beretta. a? Uh, do they make a rifle? I don't. I don't know. Because I know. I mean, they make handguns and make shotguns, but I don't know if they make. Yeah, uh, handguns and shotguns. Uh, I like Ruger too. I think yeah. Ruger's underrated. Like, they're not super fancy, but they always get the job done. And I own a few Ruger products. Uh, let's see. I think I'm with you for. Um... I'm with you for uh, Orvis. I think for my rod, like I obviously have the most experience with them, but I just I'm familiar with it. I really like the way they cast, and that warranty is pretty great. Uh, if I could only ever fly fish with the Orvis rods the rest of my life, I'd be happy. You know. Yeah. Um, as far as guns, though, I don't know. That's I don't know firearms as well, uh, but maybe like a Mossberg. Hmm. Oh, yeah. that's a solid. Because they do make rifles, they make shotguns, so you got you're covered on both those ends. Right. Do they make and pistols? I don't think that they make handguns. No. But you know what though? If with a rifle and a shotgun, I'd be okay without a pistol. You know what I mean? Because like, I don't want to say hunt with a pistol. So like, I'm okay yeah. with having those two. I just carry one for like, I don't know, like hogs and stuff. Or... Yeah. Like, no, and like there's definitely around, a reason yeah. for them, yeah. But yeah. like, you could get by and hunting in every situation with never having to have a yeah. Pistol. You just need right yeah. Shot, it's of. it's hard. Yeah, the gun one's kind of hard because. Oh, uh, if anybody makes all three, maybe Remington. I was gonna say Remington was gonna be my gun. Uh, yeah. I you know I have a couple Remington guns, so I know I'm covered there already. Yeah. Um, they make pistols, they make rifles, they make shotguns, so you'd be covered pretty much. That's a hard one. I, I would definitely go with the Orvis for rod and reel setup um, as well. Um, the gun situation, I'm torn pretty heavily. But I honestly think Cliff, our listeners are on the edge of their seat. <laughs> <laughs> While he's thinking, Landon, what, what's, your, what's your fly rod? Get it together, man. No, I'm just kidding. I think everyone knows what my fly rod is, but maybe I can tell you a different reason. Okay. I, I'm going to fish with Orvis rods and reels. Most of my rods are Orvis. Uh, most of my reels are Orvis. 
Um, most people would call me biased. I have been employed by Orvis in the past. Uh, so, uh, with that being said, though, I think that they make great equipment, and not that other companies don't, but it's what I have. I know their warranty. I know they take care of their customers. But another reason you should consider buying Orvis is because they give uh, 5% of their pre-tax profits to conservation. And I have seen that money personally benefit Texas with Hurricane Harvey. Orvis did a big uh, waiter donation push to get first responders waiters. And that fund has benefited us here in Texas and people affected by Hurricane Harvey. Um, I can't speak on what other companies are doing as far as donating to conservation, stuff like that. I just know that Orvis has, and I know that Texas has been benefited. Um, and uh, and, and that's, that says a lot to me. Um, I think the rods that they make are uh are great i like some rod models better than others as far as like um like in the helios like i think some rods cast amazing and some i'm some i'm not the biggest fan of it's not as it's not as easy as just saying like you should buy a recon or you should buy a clear water or you should buy a helios um you guys should cast them and see if you like them um but um, there's definitely better ones in each model in my opinion and that might just be personal preference but um yeah I'm, I'm going with orvis you can call me biased i don't really care that's what i'm fishing with well and i like to that they don't just like you wouldn't know that they donate five percent which is a, a considerable amount mm -hmm. like because they don't just shove it down everybody's face which just kind of means like they're doing it for their own personal reasons not necessarily as like a big marketing yeah I think they release a monthly deal where mm -hmm. it tells you where they've donated. I think you have to go find it. They're not pushing it out on emails. Um, but I have seen like monthly publications in the past of like where they donated like $10,000 gotcha. to some trout unlimited project mm -hmm. somewhere. And they do like to donate um, more to like specific projects. Um, but they also donate and help out real recovery, mm -hmm. which I volunteered with as a cancer group. They donate to Casting for Recovery. Um, they donate to Trout Unlimited, obviously. They donate to the Mayfly Project. Um, so a lot of the big nonprofit groups that are associated in fly fishing, they're making donations to as well. So um, Project Healing Waters is another one. I know that they help out in some cases. So um, I can't speak for other companies. I know 5% is a lot. Um, and it has personally benefited Texas, um, even though they're a Vermont company. So nice. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, Cliff, you might know more about this uh, since you have had power, because I don't know about this question. Maybe one of us could look into it if we don't. Uh, we got asked what you know about all the exotic animals dying in the weather, Axis, Black Buck, etc. Cliff, you're muted. My story is actually on that. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Oh. We can we'll preview then. We can wait then. Cool. Well, we'll save that 
we'll table that question for later. We will, uh, uh, that's all the questions we have right now, but I'll keep checking it throughout the podcast because I literally posted this to Instagram like 30 minutes ago. So the questions might still be rolling in, but those are all good questions. Um, for sure. Um, Cool. Yeah. Anybody I, drink I, anything tonight? No, not me. I should have thought about that, but I didn't. What about you, Zach? Uh, I'm just drinking something I had here. Uh, Angel's Envy. I had. Which we had on the podcast, I think. We did. It's my best yeah. sipping whiskey I have right now, and that's um, what I'm going for. So, yeah. It's good. Ian, you got a sparkling water? Dude, yes. I, can we show this on the internet? Yeah, probably. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe. Bubbly, <laughs> show raspberry, it, show bubbly, it. shout out. Does it taste good? Oh, he doesn't know. Oh. No, nah, he was drinking one like 20 minutes good. ago. Oh, this is the second of the night. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's a <Double>. fiend. <laughs> Dude, it's refreshing, and it's refreshing because I don't have water at the house. And also, um, it's refreshing because um, it's all they had at HEB. Like, there was no water at HEB, and there's just two uh, a case, or two cases. They're small cases. I'm not a hoarder. Of raspberry bubbly. And uh, apparently, nobody wanted them during this water that's, pandemic. That's not a good like, sign. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. It's People are literally thing on the shelf. People are dehydrating. Dude, <laughs> they, was, yeah. And they probably don't uh they probably don't stock that much raspberry either. So not only was that all that's left, they probably didn't have a huge stock of it to begin with. Probably. Did you guys hear what H E B did in Leander? No. no. During Snowvid? Um Snowvid? Oh, <laughs> uh, they opened Dude. it up and everyone could go in and just get any perishable item for free. Well, yeah, they lost power, and there's a like the checkout lines are like 20 people long, and they're like, just go, just take what you have. No way, yeah, yeah. And they just got for HEB for being clutch, yeah. yeah. HEB works better than our government, they consistently do the best thing, <laughs> <laughs> those are the best prices in Texas. <laughs> for real. So, Shout out to a shout out to H E B for uh uh doing good by Texas. And uh uh old I saw old mattress Mac in Houston. He uh opened up his uh floor room so people could sleep and get warm and sit on couches and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Just sleep on a comfy mattress. Yeah. Well, <laughs> seriously, they let people sleep on like the floor mattresses yeah. and stuff like that. If they didn't have Dude. power, they come in and he was giving them food too. He's and then I wonder if you could take it home. Like, oh, yeah, I like this mattress. Can I buy it? <laughs> so, <laughs> ultimate se uh, sales yes. pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Houston will remember any Houston listeners if you need furniture. Uh, mattress Mac. Mattress Mac. People will remember. That's a solid thing. And Mattress Mac. It's just Kieran Houston on his back. Um, I got a question for you guys I was thinking about mm -hmm. the other day. Uh, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I'm just curious to have a roundtable discussion. Why do you think that 
fly fishing is growing like exponentially right now as a whole and hunting is according to numbers is on the decline because of landon rowlett oh because of me why it's a good thing like landon's helping the increase in the fly fishing community yeah that's true i feel like all of us fish because of landon so he's increased it probably fourfold i know zach does yeah uh I no, Landon didn't get me into. I didn't. That's get right. You did. You did it. In, but uh, we. But we met because of fly fishing. Mm -hmm. I didn't get Ian into fishing. Fly fishing made me grow my friend group. So when I moved out here, mm -hmm. dude, I did start fly fishing on my own. I literally knew no one who fly fished, which was weird. But I, I think, think I think that access and the availability to fish is probably greater. Mm -hmm than it is for hunting, especially for entry level, like yeah. people just trying to get outside and do something. I think fishing is easier to get into than hunting, hunting. Unless you, you can get into it on your own, but it's, there's still like a barrier of entry almost of like, I don't know what to do. And then rules and regulations and knowing that you're on the right side of it or how to do something. And then there's a lot of times of sitting around and not seeing anything that become, if, if you're out there to have the action and that's just your, your first few times and you're out there to see action and you don't see anything, then I think you get disheartened and, quit yeah which you can't do i think i think it's been just a huge marketing move uh when you think of fly fishing you no longer think of the retirees and don't not that that's a bad thing at all but for a long time fly fishing was very much the retirees go to the montana rivers and the creeks and they do it there whereas the last few years especially the last like 10 years maybe the marketing has really pushed into getting younger people involved and younger people know how to do things like use social media, put it on Instagram, Twitter, right? All these yeah. things. And so the visibility of fly fishing and the people who are fly fishing make it look, you know, quote unquote cool or like the fun thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and plus like Cliff was saying too, uh, like with all that information out there, being able to actually access the water and knowing that, it's so much easier to get on the water every single day versus hunting is still really tough. And to be honest, a lot of times it's pay to play with hunting. Mm -hmm. Even if it's public land, it's still a huge up cost, like upfront cost that uh, like, it's just so much easier to get into fly fishing. You can, I mean, granted we all have nice gear, but like for a hundred bucks and then a $15 license, you could be having fun catching fish all day, you know? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, for sure. And I, I also think, too, uh, um, Zach, you said marketing. Uh, that has a lot to do with it. And then also just, like, the realization of, like, I can go catch bass and panfish. I mean, like, people catching bass and panfish on the fly rod for, like, 30 years. But longer than that. They've been catching bass and panfish on fly rods for... Since fly rods were invented. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing new, but... Tr Fly fishing has always had this like mythology of like catching trout. Mm -hmm. And so I think the realization of like, ah, I can go 
you know, down the river and catching panfish, even though I don't have trout here in Texas or near where I live, has that realization that fly fishing isn't only trout fishing, which I still get that question a lot when I was working at the store, like at least once a week. Y'all have fly fishing here? I didn't think there was any trout. Well, we kind of do have trout. So there's that. But then there's the, you know, a lot of people bass fish. They go to the coast. And I think people are starting to realize, like, you can fly fish just about anywhere. And so um, that's opening up the door. And then the cost is lower to get into. Um, hunting's a high risk, high reward. Uh, you know, you could go hunting for a week and not get anything. Um, but I think the reward of hunting is bigger. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, like one accomplished when I hunt, when I hunt successfully than when I fish successfully. Um, so that's something to consider too. If you guys are looking at getting into one or the other, both, uh, get into both. I would agree. And dove hunting is an easy place to start if you oh, want to yeah. get into hunting. Plus, you can get a shotgun for, you know, that would do the job for a couple hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you can meet some people, someone will probably let you borrow a shotgun just to see if it's something you'd want to do. So. Cool. I'm going to mute Cliff. All right, guys. Um, so, you guys have anything else before we want to move into the uh, before we move into our segments? I think let's move into segments. Okay. All right. Who wants to go first? I will, since we kind of had a question on it. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, Cliff, I'm excited for this. All right. Give me one second, because I had it brought up, and then it seems to have reset. So i got to find it again. All right. So welcome to C4. C4, Cliff's Cool Conservation Corner. All right. Sorry about that. Um, so this is this article. I'm going to read the whole article since it we did have questions on it and there's kind of a lot of detail. Um, it's from Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, published February 18th, 2021. So two days ago. Biologists examine winter weather impacts on Texas wildlife. Um Austin, as much as Texas, as much of Texas experienced historic winter weather, native wildlife populations throughout the state have also felt the impact. Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, reminds the public that many have that many native wildlife species will be able to survive short durations of historic low temperatures and snow events. However, long-term impacts on a variety of wildlife and their habitats, especially on vegetation, may not be known for weeks. 
Native Texas mammals, including white-tailed deer, coyotes grow, grow heavier winter coats that, that help them survive the colder weather. These weather coats are generally thicker and have a well-developed underlayer. Other mammals, like bats, often migrate to where insects and common food sources are, are or hibernate to wait out the winter, depending on the species. Bats that cho choose to hibernate will find a suitable cave or culvert to settle in. Squirrels will rely on food, caches, and nests to survive during the winter months. Birds have several strategies that help them survive cold weather. Multiple species will fluff up their feathers to trap warm air. Birds will also flock to food sources to build up their energy reservoirs. Those that can build up fat stores and have had consistent, reliable sources of nutrition and suitable habitats are generally healthier and will make it through the winter. However, those that have little fat could have a more difficult time surviving the freezing temperatures. Following up, the following observations have been reported by TPWD staff and the public regarding bird health and mortality due to winter weather. Mortality events have been observed in early arriving insectivore bird species such as purple martins and other pasperin species these events have been more prevalent in areas where seed resources were covered by recent historic snowfall and that experienced long-lasting below freezing temperatures. TPWD staff has observed waterfowl mortality events due to freezing con conditions in wetlands and some TPWD wildlife management areas. Bird feeders are being heavily relied upon by various species in areas that have experienced sudden decrease in local food resources due to snowfall. Biologists have reported that birds are congregating near roads due to melted snow and ice, increasing water availability. This has resulted in an increase in wildlife vehicle collisions. During cold weather, many fish slow down and head for deeper waters where it is somewhat warmer. Unfortunately, fish in shallow waters, especially in our coastal areas, may not survive a hard freeze, resulting in large fish kills during cold snaps. The TPWD kills and spills team collect data on the events and assesses the overall impact on Texas fish populations. When temperatures on the coast fall below freezing, TPWD may close certain areas to saltwater fishing. It is already the case this year, uh, as is already the case this year's. Yeah, did you guys Alligators... see they, they closed it for a few, um, they closed it for a few days already this past year, this past week. Yeah, yeah that's what this was saying. Yeah, there's no saltwater. And did you guys see all of the, the parks and wildlife people go and pick up all the turtles out of hey, the- and, and that's, some... that's my some... article. Oh, they were, oh man, dang. Some so other news agency was giving credit to some other organization for it. I'm sure there was Instagram. another one too, because there is, yeah. there's the, um, there's the, what is it? The, the sea turtle wildlife refuge there in South Padre or Port yeah. Angeles, which one that actually like, takes care of all of them. And so they might be there as well. But I know that TPWD was definitely helping a lot. Um, they're the ones with the huge boats out there that had like the whole 
freaking yeah the whole bowels and everything um alligators should survive well with short snaps of freezing water long-term impacts on alligator populations won't be known until tpwd staff and landowners are able to survey the properties when conditions improve sea turtles will become cold stunned when water temperatures drop this leaves them lethargic and unable to move into deep water which results in stranding uh, TPWD coastal fisheries biologists and Texas game wardens have assessed in multiple sea turtle rescue, assisted in multiple sea turtle rescue operations since February 14th near the Brownsville ship channel and surrounding bays, as well as near Matagorda Bay. Uh, once the sea turtles are rescued from the water, they are transported to a proper facility. When temperatures warm back up, the t- sea turtles will be safely released. They're already released some today. Yeah. Um, it gives a phone number if you see any sea turtles that are have been stunned. Also, I'm not going to give that out. As the cold weather continues along with the continued potential for more freezing precipitation, the availability for high-quality wildlife habitat will be crucial for many species to survive through this week's winter in some locations across the state. TPWD staff will keep monitoring impacts on historic weather events on wildlife. When TPWD operations can return to normal, we will continue to update the public on state wildlife resources. Cool. So to me, it's kind of outlining why there was a kill off on some of these animals. Um, like the question before asked was like what's happened to the wildlife and all this i think in areas where like the exotic species weren't able to grow or they're not used to this cold weather those those probably did die off unless they were able to get herded up to keep each other warm or if maybe the property manager that's managing those exotic species might have a barn for them or something i don't know yeah i would say exotics i mean they're not supposed to be here so i mean if we get an extremely cold snap for the length of time that we had one everyone loses power no way to keep them warm uh that would that would explain a lot to me but even like the redfish and stuff so um, Ken and I go on red fishing. We're, we're going to the coast in two weeks. Uh, do you guys think it's ethical to fly fish for fish that have been impacted by this? Or do you think by that time things kind of even out and they get kind of back to the normal? No, I think in two weeks you'll be fine. I've yeah. seen a lot of people posting like, hey, let it let it warm up. Yeah. The thing is the redfish are trying to warm up, so they're coming up on the flats. So I've seen yep. pictures of like insane – amounts of redfish all just huddled up on a flat trying to get yeah, warm. I've seen those too. Yeah. I don't want necessarily think that would be fair. They're trying to warm up and just stay alive. We get to a point where temperatures are normal. They're acting like normal redfish. Right. Not uh, just like a one big huddle ball of massive redfish is hanging correct. out. Yeah. They're not I mean those redfish weren't even swimming. They're just sitting there, you know, trying not to waste any energy, trying to warm up. Yeah. Um, so I think in two weeks you'll be good. I think give it a couple days with as warm of the weather as we had today. Give it a couple days, <coughs> a week maybe, and they'll be, they'll be good to go. Yeah, I agree. 
This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Cool. Cliff, did you have anything else? Nope. I will go next, but Cliff's article had to do a lot with what I was going to talk about. My, so my <laughs> segment is on patrol. And I'm like, well, a lot of the stories I normally bring are pretty depressing. So I'm going to take a Texas Game Warden story that's actually uh, uh, not super sad where someone's died or something horrible's happened. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, try to lighten the mood given everything going on. So I had pulled two uh, Texas sea turtle articles. Um, Texas game wardens saved around 140 sea turtles um, from the Brownsville ship channel. There's a really cool picture. If you just Google it, you'll find it. It's just like a deck covered with sea turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, and um Cliff kind of covered this, but sea turtles are cold-blooded and can't regulate their body temperature. So if water temperatures drop below about 50 degrees, um, sea turtles become lethargic and unable to swim. They come up to the surface, and they're vulnerable to boat strikes um, or wash ashore and become stranded. Um, If they're not rescued, uh, animals often die of shock, predation, or trauma due to boat strike. Um, this article quoted around 3,500 sea turtles being rescued total. Mm-hmm. Um, but this other article with national geographic was pretty in depth and they say the numbers around 5,000 total sea turtles being rescued, um, along the Texas coast. Um, and, uh, I can get into like what organizational groups were helping in this article. You can uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife. Gotcha. Um, um, they also, if, I think it's important to tell our listeners that if you do see one, do not touch it. It's actually illegal to touch it or handle it on your own. Uh, so if you do see one, you do need to call that number uh, in order to get somebody who's trained to come out and actually uh, help it. And I think by the time this podcast comes out, it will be, be a thing. But just but, for the future yeah. reference, even even if you're even in the middle of summer, you're not allowed yeah. to touch them. Like it's yeah. illegal to touch a sea turtle. So yeah. I think that's definitely good to know. Uh, they have specific groups that are trained in how to properly handle sea turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in this case, they were telling people, don't touch them, just call, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll come up and pick them up. Um, let's see. Let me find where this information was. Um, 
Uh, sea Turtle Inc., a nonprofit education, rehabilitation, and conservation organization on South Padre Island, was directing the sea turtle rescue efforts. Um, sea turtles of all ages and sizes uh, were rescued. We've had salad plate sized sea turtles, dinner plate sized turtles, and quite a few kiddie pool sized turtles. Um, they basically took them to a rescue center, put them on tarps. And uh, they filled, um, they filled the rescue center. Have you guys ever been to the rescue center? I haven't. It's really cool. Like I said, I want to say it's South Padre. Yeah, um, South Padre. Yeah, um, it is so neat. Uh, you know, they have the big tanks, and I don't know if you can still go. When I was a kid, you could, um, but you could see all the turtles they have rescuing and that are being rehabilitated, and ones that may not be let out and stuff so it's pretty cool they said they have at least one and a half football fields worth of turtles in the building and i thought this was really interesting without rescue the sea the island sea turtle population would have been decimated by the cold wiping out four decades of conservation work so without the efforts of game wardens and volunteers and people helping with this four decades 40 years of conservation efforts would have been uh, wiped out. That's crazy. Um, the challenge for carrying so many animals was compounded at first by the fact that the rescue center and convention centers had no power. Um, it's critical to warm up cold stunned turtles gradually. Um, even though the buildings had no heat, being inside on a tarp was significantly warmer than being in the water. Um, turtles started watching up on the on the beach, although deciding when to intervene to help wildlife can be tricky for conservationists, that wasn't the case this week. The island's turtles don't rest on the beach for fun. If one's on the beach, it's a clear sign it's in distress. Um, it took 10 men to hoist one turtle bigger than 400 pounds and at least 150 years old onto a flatbed truck on Tuesday it, afternoon. Some of the pictures they were posting, I was like, I can't even imagine getting a turtle that big on the boat because they were like, I mean, they had the ones that are like dinner plate size. But yeah. They had some that were as big as my dining table, and it was just like crazy. Um, yeah, and they've just been super thankful for the volunteers. We've had people who have not had power or water in their own homes in three to four days, working 15 to 18 hours a day to save turtles. Yeah. Um, let me get to this other part that I wanted to let you guys know. Uh, engineers at the nearby SpaceX Center uh, leaped into action. They arrived at the rescue center after midnight on Wednesday with the single largest generator I've ever seen in my life. Um, and at 1.30 a.m., I sat in the parking lot and watched them turn the lights on. So SpaceX helped out by donating a huge generator um, to give them electricity. Um and they're still working to like revive the turtles safely. Um, the biggest mistake we could make is release the turtles before the water is warm enough. Uh, scientists are water monitoring water temps and waiting for it to get to about fifty-five to sixty-five degrees. I saw they were they were releasing some today. Um, they said the article said the smaller ones are going to get released first. Okay. Uh, they they revive. Resilient. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it'll the bigger they are, the longer it's going to take. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. 
So, Dude, Ian, you want to get going? Hey, do we know if they are tagging any of these turtles since they collected them all? I'd imagine some of them probably. Like, there's no. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just guessing, saying they are. But they are, could just be like, hey, priority number one is just getting them on the boat, and then that's it. You know. Yeah. But there's got to be some sort of documentation they, of like, no, hey, like we caught so many. They, I'm sure they want to study the effects of this on the turtles. Yeah. Like, hey, we got X number of turtles this size versus this size in five years. Do we see a huge drop off or decline in turtles that should be this size? Or you know, they have to be looking into that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Ian, you ready to go with your, uh, your article? But I like that story a lot. Yeah, man. Um, okay. Can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, Sorry, dude, you sound I great. I say that, but we're all staring at each other, except we're staring at this bear that's in the back of Cliff's uh, <laughs> thing. Just like, okay. going to eat him. Penguins caught stealing sushi released from <laughs> New Zealand police custody. What? This no. is from ABC News. This yes, can't dude. be true. ABCnews.go.com. This is from 2019. Yeah, no, it's from ABC News. Penguins caught stealing sushi released from New Zealand police custody. A pair of, this is a direct quote. Uh, this was written on July 16, 2019. ABCnews.com. A pair of penguins have been released from police custody in New Zealand after being discovered hiding out in a sushi stand on Saturday. Um, Constable John Zhu described them as waddling vagrants, um, and they were described as taking refuge. Um, I guess this happened in Wellington. Um, this is a direct quote. Following a period of temporary detainment, Wellington police contacted New Zealand's chief government wildlife body, the Department of Conservation, DOC, and the penguins have now been taken into their care. Wellington's little blue penguins with a taste for sushi have been moved to a nesting box, the, DO, the DOC posted on Twitter. Our rangers report that they seem to like it and were making cooing noises, which is a good sign. Um, <laughs> they have a picture of the penguins. Um, apparently, okay, so apparently they were not the first food stealing penguins that have been caught um yeah but apparently apparently they just broke in i think it's a stand i don't think it's a restaurant let me look really quick uh yeah it's a sushi stand apparently like some penguins found out there was sushi and we know penguins eat fish and just like hold up there and the police grabbed them and then they were transferred to the doc can you imagine so, being a police officer and getting that call? Like, hey, we need okay, to come one, speak. I didn't even know there were penguins in New Zealand. I mean, I know it's down there. Like, mm -hmm. one of my best friends in Austin, well, actually in general, Joel, if you listen to this, Joel Greatbatch, shout out if you listen to this. <laughs> he is from New Zealand, and he's a great friend, probably one of my best friends. And, dude, he uh, is from New Zealand, Auckland, but... I mean, did you guys know penguins were down there? I know Antarctica is yeah. not that far away. Like, yeah, they're a different breed that can survive in warmer climates. Are they? Mm -hmm. Okay. There's some in. Uh, so, so some in South Africa as well. Basically, what you're saying, Ian, is some penguins in New Zealand were hungry and robbed a sushi stand. <laughs> yeah, dude, and they were <laughs> apprehended by the police. <laughs> Okay, it's 3,100 miles from Antarctica. I mean, 
I don't know if they swam. Yeah, it's probably no. I think Zach's right. It's a different breed. But yeah, like okay, there's two ways to look at this. They were hungry and hold up, but I'm more on Landon's side. They're thieves. Like <laughs> the police showed <laughs> up. Thieves. I don't know how you arrest a penguin, but you have like little penguin shaped handcuffs. Can you imagine like getting called to that? Like, yeah, we got some penguins over here. They've been eating our sushi and we want to prosecute them. Like, you guys want to press charges? Definitely. Like, <laughs> right. sorry, they're an animal. Like, they're not under the burden of the law. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's like you know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, penguins. Sorry, guys. Sorry, listeners. My stories are always weird. <laughs> no, dude. dude, that's great. That's your stories are supposed to be weird. It's right. not anything yeah. in nature if it's not a weird story. <laughs> right. That's thing. my personal opinion. Well, can you imagine how happy they were, though? They were probably like, bro, sushi. Like, <laughs> It's like a penguin's best day. It's finally like a sushi bar. Like, yeah. It's everything they've ever wanted. <laughs> Cliff, we can't hear you, buddy. Are you muted? He's muted. Oh, Still can't muted. hear you. Cliff is having technical difficulties. Hey, Cliff, you push the little three buttons on the bottom right, more options, you can change it. I don't think his mic was attached to his headphone anyways. Yeah, I think it was on his computer. Yeah. It's okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, Ian, that was a cool story. There's a, a deer that did the same thing a couple years ago in like this one gas station then he brought his family back when he was like oh hey there's free food oh really yeah he like he came up great. he like went in and the like the gas station owner was like hey here's some here's a pretzel for you and the deer was like super happy so he left and then he brought back like his other deer friends and it was like <laughs> hey this is the pretzel guy wait that happened to you <laughs> no 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 it happened that would oh. awesome happened to me no it was, it was one of those dude. things online dude yeah no in I was I thought you were gonna say some deer were eating gas station sushi and I'm like, I don't even eat gas station sushi and I don't think deer should either. Like <laughs> that's just like animals can digest a lot of stuff, but well gas station sushi, I don't know about that. Cool. No, we still we can't we still can't hear you, Cliff. I don't know what the deal is. Did you disconnect your headphones? He says computer died. And he brought it back. Mm. Sorry, Cliff. You're in the dark. Cliff, try rejoining, bud. Oh, yeah, do that. All right. All right, Zach. Whenever cool. you're ready. Well, for Creature Watch of today, I'm going to bring you the story of the Goliath Tigerfish. So we're going to change it up a little bit with uh, actual cryptozoology animals, kind of. Uh, Can y'all hear me now? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. All right. So on... Ian's penguin story. Did y'all see where a Belgian photographer captured a yellow and white penguin? Penguin. Oh yeah, I did see that. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, the first ever yellow penguin. He looks like a big old like lemon. Yeah, I'm wondering if it because it it hangs around with a lot of other penguins. I'm wondering if it's just not like an albino. Yeah, it's got to be a pigment thing. Some sort of, you yeah. know, thing happened. But still weird. All right, Zach. Tigerfish? Uh, it's the Goliath tigerfish, yep. Uh, so, like I said, with running, you know, a little low on some cryptids, I figured, hey, let's look at some actual creatures from, like, certain areas that 
different cultures around the world actually like have their own myth behind. So uh, today I bring you the story of the Goliath tigerfish. Um, it was discovered by a man named George Albert Bollinger, uh, who was a Belgian-British zoologist. Um, he was pretty cool. He documented over 2,000 new animal species born in 1858. Uh, where do you guys think, or when do you guys think he ID'd the Goliath tigerfish? He was born in uh, 1858. So. Dude, I like how Zach always has like the timeline questions, and I always get him wrong. Like when I was like 980. Uh, that's like that's tried and true he, with Creature Watch now. So say that again. When he ID'd the Goliath tiger fish. Yeah, he was born in 1858, so it's kind of a hint. So it can't be before then. But when do you think he ID'd the Goliath tiger fish? 1885. Okay. So I'm gonna go with 88. Okay. I'm going to go with 1906. I'm going to say he was an old man. Oh, okay. It was 1898. So I think Landon might have been the closest. Eight years away. Uh, yeah. So 1898 is when he first ID'd it. It was in the Congo. So this is an African fish. Uh, it, is no, it is found in the Congo River Basin. Um, if you guys have never seen one, they're pretty crazy. They are about five to six feet long. They have teeth that are about an inch to two inches long. Um, and they're very like olive silvery, um, they can weigh anywhere from hundred to 150 pounds. Um, now, unlike a lot of other fish, their teeth are kind of on the front part. Like they don't have lips. Their teeth are actually like on the outside of their face, kind of like a crocodile, uh, or like an alligator. Um, in the local, uh, Swahili language, it is called the Mbega or Mbenga. And it means the dangerous fish. Um, now, just like our trout, they use the calmer eddies and kind of hang out there near the really fast, crazy water to ambush fish or people who kind of get stuck in the in the current and just can't get tra and can't get out of it. Um, the only predator it has is the Nile crocodile. Uh, some call it the greatest game fish of the world. So, of course, as fly fishermen and just fishermen in general. Anything with teeth and wants to be a predator, we think, I got to catch that. I got to put it in my hands. So um, people from all over actually travel to the Congo in order to catch this fish. Mm. Uh, locals eat the tiger fish. Um, however, not all is well, right? Many say that the evil spirit in Bega enters the fish and forces it to attack people. Um, they say they don't know what causes it. They just know that there are quite a few attacks that happen, and uh, they believe that this evil spirit gets inside of the fish and is what actually forces it to do these deeds. Um, so they eat, obviously, many different things like fish, smaller crocodiles. Um, we know that they live at least 10 to 15 years in captivity, uh, but typically things maybe live a little bit longer in the wild. They just don't know exactly how long they live in the wild. Um, now, there are some known attacks, and a couple of these can be a little grisly. I only have two, um, but they're pretty pretty tough. So a young Congo girl uh, had a belt that her parents had made her out of bottle caps. And so she jumped in the water and was swimming around and playing, and those bottle caps acted like a spoon, like a spoon lure or a spoon fly, and created this light. And so the Goliath tigerfish actually like was... Uh, like, you know, excited by that and went up and bit the, her belt and actually like almost bit her in half. It's, like I said, pretty bad. But 
um, the the fish, you know, was just going after something shiny in the water. Uh, the other one I have, and that's actually the attack that inspired the the known fisherman uh, Jeremy Wade to actually go out and try to fish for this creature in in the Congo. Um, the second attack, I don't have as much information. All we know was that a man was in the water, uh, hanging around, and the fish actually lunged out of the water, bit his neck, and unfortunately, uh, the man died uh, pretty much instantly after he was attacked. Um, now, if all this doesn't really scare you, there is opportunities to catch one. So you may be thinking how to catch it. Uh, obviously, you need a heavy-duty fly with a metal leader, right? Um, they want to ambush fish in that uh, crazy current, so make sure you throw it in the rough water just outside of any kind of calm eddy. Uh, but be prepared for a fight. They kind of fight like a tarpon. They thrash around, they jump up, and the second they do, they start spinning their head um, and kicking it back and forth so they can either cut the leader or um, they can release the tension and cut it out that way as well. So just like everything, the second... The second it uh, the second it jumps, tip in the water, right? Create that tension. So, other than that, the only other thing that I found was unless you're with a local who would like to eat it or give it to their village, um, scientists recommend that you throw it back because they do have quite a long um, regeneration time. Like it takes five to fourteen years for a population to double, and so they use a lot of energy to breed. And so if you do catch one, like I said, unless you're with a local and it would be culturally insensitive to not let them have it, uh, they do recommend putting it back. But outside of that, uh, that is the Goliath tiger fish. So, oh, that's great, Zach. Cool. I didn't know that much Dude, about that. Dude, that was good. Fish. I mean, I, I've see. seen pictures and know people fish for them, but uh, that, that's a good one. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I thought they were interesting. Their teeth are just like freaking gnarly. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't even decide on a topic to talk about. Um, Snowpocalypse. No. Yeah, we did talk about Snowpocalypse, though. I got another question. Um, in your opinion, what makes an outdoorsman? And in particular, this person asked, can someone that likes to be to just to ski be one? I think so. I think an outdoorsman is very broad. I mean, like obviously, like there's different types of outdoorsmen. You have you know anglers and hunters and and hikers and everything. But I think just as somebody who just likes being outside, you know, like I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I recharge myself when I'm outside. Like my energy is re is replenished whenever I'm doing something outside, like you know whether it's hiking or fishing or anything like that. Yes. So I think you know if you enjoy being outside and you feel like you're some sort of connection or there's some sort of energy that you get from it, hey, you're an outdoor you're an outdoorsman. Yeah, and I don't I think that's good, Zach. I don't think there needs to be like a gatekeeping thing. Not um, at all. With it, you know, that's just gonna cause arguments and not encourage people to get outside and our deal is like we want more people to be outside i mean we talk about hunting and angling sometimes camping and hiking uh, mostly hunting and angling but um yeah i think if people more people spend time outside they care about the outdoor places more 
therefore uh, that will have positive conservation effects. Yeah. Uh, if people aren't going outside, then they don't care about what's happening yeah. um, in the outdoors. And, um, you know, some people, someone that just volunteers at the turtle rescue center on South Padre, I'd consider an outdoorsman. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's like a gatekeeping thing or anything like that. No, not at all. Dic- Dictionary.com says a person devoted to outdoor sports and recreational activities is hiking, hunting, fishing, and camping. I mean, I would just say to answer that question, do what you like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Don't necessarily worry about, we just use it as a general term, but it's not like an exclusive club or anything. Like just if I like to ski. So if you like to ski, ski, right. Like, you know, I think in general, we're just trying to get people outside. Although this podcast does focus on hunting and fishing because that's what we do the most. Yeah. yeah. But I, like, I don't know if you guys ski, but I love to ski. And I've been skiing. It's like, I've been skiing once. I'd like to go again with actual snow. I was skiing on ice. So it was kind of, Rough, I'm but. a complete beginner, but I go every. I try to go every. I went the last two or three years, and it's it's a ton of fun, man. I didn't fall off the lift too, which I was so proud of. <laughs> the lift, the lift seems more intimidating than it is, but once you're on it, dude, good. yeah, the lift's the hardest part. People don't tell you that. It's, it's like a mind thing, though. Is, you know? Yes. Yeah. Because there's that space you have to. Oh yeah, and like you have to like let it push you a little bit, get going. No, uh, but I'm with I'm like you mean. I absolutely love to ski. Uh, try snowboarding once, but not for me. A honey hole ski trip would be fun. It would be. Maybe a ton of fun. Cliff, would you go on a honey hole ski go- trip? I can't ski. I can snowboard, but I can't ski. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. That, that no, means- see, I'm the dude. I'm the opposite. Like I snowboarded in high school. I tried a bunch. Finally, the instructor, who was really nice, his name was, like, Mike, was, like, hey, bro, um, he was, like, a lot of people really like skiing or snowboarding, and, like, I don't know if you've tried skiing, but, like, you really might enjoy it more, and I was, like, dude, thanks for letting me down easy, buddy, (laughs) but, and I did, I tried skiing, like, 10 years later, and I loved it. Yeah. It's so much fun. No, actually, I'm dude. I'm old. Okay, I tried skiing like twelve years later. Yeah, I mean, and man, there's there's so many outdoor sport like mountain biking, whitewater yes. kayaking, ra- rafting, canoeing. Um, people just like to do different things. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, and, and just you know do what? what you like. That's my advice. Just have I fun would, out there. You know, yeah, what I, mean? I would say there's one caveat, and that I would say what separates like outdoorsmen from like people who just like to hunt or something like that would be you actually want to take care of the outdoors you know yeah like i feel like you care about the outdoors right exactly like obviously when you hunt you are taking something from it but you're doing it in a way hopefully where you are actually caring about it you're not Um, poaching exactly right you're doing it the right way um where you're taking care of the animals as best you can you're actually using that resource you know um and what there's like that there's that motto of like leave it better than you found it and i think yes. uh you know take only pictures leave only footprints that's <laughs> just i love that but it's also so cliche but it yeah. is yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> definitely. But there is something to be said about that, like, right? Because you do want to take care of our resource because like if we didn't, then it would be there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um cool. Well, I think that's kind of good to end on. Why don't we uh let last little bit, why don't we talk about what honey hole angling's up to lately and coming up in the future and kind of advertise for ourselves a little bit what we got going on and um then we'll then we'll end it um i did have you guys seen the whiskey glasses they got made wait we had whiskey glasses made yeah i like how i like how landon was like did you see it the rest of us were like no no Someone saw. I showed it to someone. Did you, show me no, you, you you told me about it. You didn't show me. Oh, last I heard, they weren't happening. So hey, that's great. Are we gonna? Are those for sale, Landon? They are going to be for sale. Nice. So, um, I ordered fifteen to start off with. So we'll see if the if the listeners like them. Um, and I ordered a bunch of. We got some buffs and some stuff. We have that expo next weekend. Yeah, next weekend, and uh, that we're going to be up at up in Mesquite. If anybody wants to go, wait, and, are they uh, buff branded or are they? Uh, no, are they just like neck guards. They're neck guards. Okay. Yeah, with the honey hole angling logo, and uh, we restocked on stickers and stuff and dad hats because that's the first thing <laughs> we sold out of was dad hats. So. But yeah, if you guys want anything to order anything, whiskey glasses will be coming soon. You guys can check that out on our website, honeyholeangling.com. Ian has been cranking out some great articles. Yes, he has. Uh, humor. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, it was a stressful week, but I got on that. Yeah, no. The last one was like, was awesome. Yeah, especially the uh, Nolan Ryan fight. Uh, yeah, beginning. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So you guys, if anyone has a clip, if I went to a, uh, (laughs) I was at church, this is hilarious. And our pastor showed that clip (laughs) like, and I was like, (laughs) and it was like something, uh, it it was woven into the sermon, but yeah, no, it was awesome. Yeah. If you've never seen Nolan Ryan grab Robbie Ventura by the head and just (laughs) because I mean, Robbie rushed the mound. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So uh ian's articles are funny they're not serious you might learn a thing um you might unlearn a thing (laughs) you might unlearn a thing exactly but they're just fun witty uh humorous and And they're not too long like you can read them a couple minutes yeah yeah ian's not gonna drag you through uh uh an unnecessarily long article either so uh you guys go check them out on our blog if you go to our website you can just click on the blog up at the top and then uh this pod i think i already mentioned it but i'll say it again this podcast there is a video version if you want to watch it on youtube um you can see our faces this is not going to be normal uh we are testing it out this week to use in the future in case of things like snowvid um or reasons why we couldn't meet up in person uh, we want this as as a as a backup plan, and then uh, if you guys will leave a review for our podcast on Apple, then uh, on Apple Podcasts we have six. I think when we get to ten, we're doing our the drawing fifty dollars to one million dollar <laughs> <laughs> prize 
<laughs> this is like the Texas lottery. You could win a hundred K and like no one does. Yeah, you could. Um so you guys go write your review. What do we do? We'll read it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Make it and, fancy. Uh, we'll have Cliff read it in his accent. Georgia Georgia accent. accent. There you go. Nope, I can't read. Oh. oh, Cliff, don't let that make fun of your sultry southern voice. Like, come on, man. All right, I want to hear more of it. Our listeners want to hear more. If okay, <laughs> listeners, listen up. This is Ian speaking. If you lead us a fire review, Cliff will read it if it's longer than two paragraphs. Yeah, and he'll read it slowly in that southern genteel manner. That's right. And can, he'll send you, you a personalized video. Yeah. Can, can you, you send us a little teaser? Yeah. Cliff, tell me to make a mint julep on my porch. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're being regionalist. <laughs> You're being regional. Not all southern people drink mint juleps on porches. <laughs> Good. This might offend some people, but I'm going to say that the Southern accent is the most charming, hands down. Like in the U.S., like, come Yeah, they on. voted on it. It's Texas. Texas accents were the best. That's because everybody thinks it's McConaughey, which... That's true. Kind of. Yeah. I just watched Dazed and Confused when he's like, be a lot cooler if you did. No. Like, <laughs> part, dude. dude, we watched that two nights ago. Kendall hated it. Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> Like on Wednesday, he's oh, like, say man, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great. You guys have anything else y'all want to add? No. Um, if anyone's following Peter Pick Fridays, there is an official hashtag that you can put onto your own photos and it goes to, and you can actually follow hashtag Peter Pick Fridays on Instagram. Yeah, if you guys if you guys have any like game cams or anything set up, send us the pictures and we'll feature it on Friday. Yes, and uh, that would be or regional uh, regional creature watches too. Send or me, uh, send creature me. watch. If you get a creature watch creature on your trail cam, definitely send it in. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. And then, I mean, people have been sending all of us articles. I think Ian, some uh, listeners submitted an article. So we appreciate you guys uh, sending in questions and everything like that. But uh, we are recording again in like two days because this podcast was recorded late. So uh, they don't even know how the sausage gets made. No, no. <laughs> the sausage is not made how you think. So <laughs> wait, are we recording? Wait, in two days? Well, Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday, I it I exaggerated a little bit, but uh, this whole week, don't worry, dude. This whole week yeah. has been no one knows what day it is. It feels like Tuesday still. No. So, all right, guys, cool. uh, we will see y'all next week. All right, guys, bye. Bye. <laughs>